0: Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Vonville. You know, it's super easy to feel that you're all alone in the Christian journey, and just as easy to feel alone in the call for sexual purity. Does Scripture have hope and answers for us? Absolutely. We're not alone, and the Gospel has hope for us. We're in a series called Do You Not Know? And here's part one of The Kingdom of God and Sexual Purity.
1: Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to continue looking at what Paul, what we've entitled, Do You Not Know? from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, specifically verses 9 through 20. Today, we're going to start looking at verses 9 to 11. So, let's just read verses 9 to 11 together, and this is what Paul says. He says, Do you not know, verse 9, do you not know Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So twice, he says, there's a group of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. So some of you were sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy drunkards, revilers, swindlers, such were some of you, but now you were washed. He says, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 11 is not only one of the most important verses in the book of 1 Corinthians, it's one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. Let me just make two comments before we look at verses 9 and 10, and then we'll just go straight through the text. The first comment is this is it's hard to preach a text like verses 9 and 10 because you're acutely aware that you're also a fallen sinner. The temptation for people listening to you is to think that somehow you're a self-righteous person talking about wicked people. Trust me, there's no self-righteousness this morning. I freely admit, there's a lot of problems in my life. (laughs) I'm not perfect. But I've been washed and sanctified and justified. Second... This passage is difficult in one respect because most people have no idea what the kingdom of God is or how to define it. So I have to take some time this morning to define for you what is the kingdom of God and discuss that or else you won't understand Paul's point to get you to live a sexually pure life. And then second, there are sins listed in this vice list that are highly controversial in our culture today. And guess what? They were equally as controversial in Paul's day as well. And because of the controversial nature of some of the stuff we have to talk about this morning, loads of questions are going to come up in your mind that I can't answer in 45 minutes. So if you have questions, be kind, (laughs) and you can send them to me, and we'll try to work through them if we can. But what you'd need to understand this morning is this, is verses 9 and 10 is pure law. And next week, verse 11, is pure gospel. And it's healthy for the church to sit under both and feel the weight and intensity of both. So this week, you're going to feel the intensity and weight of God's law. And so what we're going to do, instead of just trying to give qualification after qualification and try to answer every question about every issue that comes up and the, the issues that Paul addresses, what we're going to attempt to do is just simply to say exactly what Paul says and nothing else and let it sit on us, because it's healthy for that to happen. So that is the caveat. Now let's look at the text. Look at verses 9 through 10. Paul says this, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now there's a tremendous amount of context behind this question. So let me just give you some context. There are two issues at stake in chapters five and six of 1 Corinthians. And here are the two issues. First, there is a crisis of authority. The Corinthian believers were rebelling against the apostle Paul in arrogant pride and self-will. And so Paul is addressing that issue in the church. They're not listening to him. And Paul calls that arrogance and self-pride and self-will and self-gratification, which we'll see momentarily. Second, the second issue at stake in these two chapters is the centrality of the gospel and its ethical implications for the church being the church. So, here in brief is the context of what Paul's addressing. The Corinthians had a serious problem with pride and self-will, and they were refusing to listen to Paul's teaching. And then second, they were arrogantly, they were so arrogantly opposed to the gospel and sound teaching that Paul says they were tolerating sexual immorality that's not even tolerated, and the Corinthian culture surrounding them. That's chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And so Paul, in chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, he threatens to come to them, and he says to find out the power or the so-called authority of those who are being arrogant towards the apostle. And so he threatens the whole church in chapter 4, verse 21, he says, I'm going to come with a rod which is church discipline, should you not follow my gospel instruction and its implications for your lives as a church? And so what happens in chapters five and six is this, is that chapters five and six serve as a test as to whether or not these Corinthian believers will remain prideful and arrogant and self-willed and refuse to listen to that, person that is teaching them or will they repent and follow Paul's instruction in the area of unjust lawsuits and sexual immorality in the church that's the context this is a heavy this is a heavy context and so the issues of chapters 5 and 6 are this in chapter 5 there is an issue of tolerating sexual immorality which a man was living in an ancestral relationship with his stepmother. And Paul says in chapter 5, he says to them, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, chapter 5, verse 1, and of a kind that is not even tolerated even among pagans. Now, the city of Corinth, as we're going to see this week and next week, was littered, obsessed with sexual immorality. It made Las Vegas look pretty sterile. But what happened was this, is that they were tolerating in the church sexual immorality. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, they were also arrogantly suing one another in pagan courts and acting unjust towards one another. Unjust acts of self-will and unkindness in the church. And then in chapter six, verses 12 through 20, the problem there was that there were some Corinthian believers from their pagan background visiting sacred temple court prostitutes out the Acrocorinth Corinth in Corinth. And so yeah, you have toleration of prostitution, you have toleration of unjust lawsuits that were killing people in the church, and you have toleration of sexual incest. These are serious issues. And Paul says, you are arrogantly tolerating it in your midst instead of understanding the gospel and its implications for your life. So that's the context. And so what Paul does is in the answer to these problems in verses 9 to 20, what we're going to find out is he asks four questions, four questions, and the four questions that he asked the Corinthian church, the four questions are intended to correct the sexual immorality and the unjust lawsuits that he's addressing in chapters five and six. Each set of questions begins with this phrase Do you not know? There was something that the Corinthian believers did not know, and second, These, all of these questions are based on the gospel philosophy, which we saw two weeks ago, be who you are, be who you are. The problem with the Corinthian believers was that they did, they really didn't know the gospel and they did not know its ethical implications for living their daily life as believers. This was their problem. And so Paul asked these four series of questions to direct the Corinthians back to the gospel and back to the gospel's implications, which alone has the power to change and transform immoral behavior into obedience and sexual purity in the church. That is what we have here. So here is the first point from Paul's first question. Point number one is this Paul asked the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's point number one. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So here's what Paul is doing to correct their sexual immorality. He's rebuking them by asking them whether they understand the basic facts of the kingdom of God. Now, I asked people this past week as I was preparing for this message, different Christians, just as I was out and about, has anybody ever taught you about the kingdom of God and what it does in terms of creating sexual purity to your life? Every person I answered, guess what their answer was? It was no. None of them had ever thought about the doctrine of the kingdom of God as what leads to sexual purity. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here. So when people tell you doctrine doesn't matter, they don't have a clue what they're talking about because Paul takes doctrine and says that's what leads to purity. And so he says, he's rebuking them. Do you not understand the basic facts of the kingdom of God? He is reminding the Corinthians of one of the first principles of the gospel, which is this. Everyone who indulges in unrighteousness does not inherit the kingdom of God. That is what he's teaching here. That is the basic principle he is establishing. Paul is saying, are you Christians and profess to know Christ and to be citizens of the kingdom, and yet you ignore the first and most basic principle of the kingdom of God? Do you not know, Corinthians, that the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God? Of God. And so what Paul is doing is instructing these believers once again as to what is the kingdom of God and what is his ethical implications applied to their daily life for sexual purity. Now, the kingdom of God is a huge theme in Scripture. And we don't have time to look at the whole... We could spend a whole series of sermons just on that. But <clears throat> let me just give you some background about that. For, for example... The kingdom of God is the binding theme of the whole Bible. It is the binding theme of the whole Bible. It was the dominant theme in Jesus' teaching and Paul's. And like Jesus, the kingdom of God was part of Paul's gospel. Luke says in Acts chapter 28 that Paul, as he was teaching in Rome, lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, listen, given the central importance of the kingdom of God in Scripture, that raises significant questions here to understand what Paul's saying. So, here are the questions we're going to look at today regarding this first point that Paul's making What is the kingdom of God? How does the kingdom of God relate to the gospel? Who are the people excluded from the kingdom of God? Who are the people who inherit the kingdom of God, and what does the kingdom of God have to do with your daily life of sexual purity? Paul answers every one of those questions in, this, in these two verses. So first, first, if the unrighteous do not inherit the kingdom of God, that's the first and most basic principle of the gospel Paul's teaching. If they don't, here's the big question. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? Here's the easiest definition I've ever gotten from Graham Goldsworthy, and it's very helpful. And this is what he defines the kingdom of God as. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That is the kingdom of God. I'll say it again. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. To live under the rule of God, his kingship, he's the king, he's ruling, he has a law, you live under it. To live under that is to experience his blessing. Now, the kingdom of God is first seen in Scripture in the Garden of Eden. That was God's place. God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the garden, living under God's, the king's rule and blessing. They were giving willing obedience to the word of God and to his rule. And therefore, they enjoyed his covenantal blessings. God said, eat of any tree, just don't eat of that one. If you do, you'll have all these blessings. If not, you'll be cursed. What happened? Well, here's what happened. They disobeyed and rebelled. They were rebellious subjects in God's kingdom. And therefore, they forsook God's blessings and came under his covenantal curses. In the day day you eat of this, you shall what? Surely die. And so they forsook the blessings because they were no longer in God's place. They were kicked east of Eden. They were kicked out of the garden. They were no longer in God's place. They were no longer God's people, and they were no longer under his rule, and they forfeited his blessings and received covenant curses. Is that clear? So the consequences for their disobedience the Scriptures teach were cosmic in scope. They were devastating, not only Adam and Eve, but the whole of mankind and all All of creation itself was subjected to corruption. Total, complete, radically depraved corruption. But here's what happens in the scripture because the story doesn't end there. Thank goodness the Bible doesn't end at Genesis 3 verse 14. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, in a surprising act of grace, God the king makes a promise to restore his kingdom once again. And then from Genesis 3.15 onwards, you know what the rest of the Bible is? The Bible is simply an unfolding story about how God the king is faithful to his initial promise, Genesis 3.15, to restore his kingdom, to bring God's people back into his place so that they can live under his rule and blessing. That's the whole Bible. That is how the whole Bible works out. And through successive stages marked by conditional and unconditional covenants, God is this great promise-keeping and performing king unilaterally as acting to restore a people who will be his willing subjects to be ruled and blessed in his kingdom. So that is the kingdom of God. Second, how does this kingdom of God relate to the gospel? How does it relate to the gospel? Presently, this is what Von Roberts calls it. It's very helpful. He takes this from Graham Goldsworthy, but he calls it the proclaimed kingdom. You and I live right now in the proclaimed kingdom. During our days, God's kingdom is spreading as the Holy Spirit works through the proclamation of the gospel to bring people into the church to receive, once again, God's rule and blessing. Graham Goldsworthy says it like this. He says, This is how the kingdom of God comes. How does it come? Jesus exercises his kingly power through the scepter of his preached gospel. Through the gospel of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is gathering a people who will be the willing subject citizens of God's rule and blessing. Paul teaches this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Just give you two quick examples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul describes the church as God's temple. God's temple is the dwelling place of God. It's God's place where he dwells. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God comes to dwell corporately in the church, his temple second, and the passage we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says that your own body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit come to dwell corporately in the church, he comes to dwell personally in every believer in the church, and you now are God, the Holy Spirit's dwelling place. We'll come back to that later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So this this means that through the gospel, God's people, the church, are brought, listen, into God's place, the church, which Paul calls the temple of God to live under the kingship of Christ. And through that, we receive the blessings of the gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so through the gospel, the Holy Spirit, Paul says at the end of verse 11, is through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, he is gathering a new people to live under his rule and blessing. And that's how the gospel relates to the kingdom of God today. Third, what does the kingdom of God have to do with our daily life of sexual purity? And here's the point. What does all that doctrine have to do with my daily life in struggling with sexual purity? Here it is. The kingdom of God is two aspects in our current day. And Paul teaches them both in 1 Corinthians. It has already come, but it's not yet consummated. And Paul here in verses 9 and 10 is talking about the perfection, the consummation of God's kingdom. But back in chapter 4, he's talking about, he says in chapter 4, verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So there's a sense in which the kingdom of God has already come now. So what does the kingdom of God already but not yet have to do with practicality of sexual purity? Here's the point. Because we are already citizens of God's kingdom, washed, sanctified, justified, we are expected and enabled by the Holy Spirit to live in a new way that is characterized by righteousness, not unrighteousness. Simply put, Paul is saying this, the law sends us to the gospel for our justification. And the gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of living. The gospel is given to free us and to empower us and to recreate us into saints and citizens of the kingdom of God so that we live in willing, joyful, grateful obedience to that king and his moral standards in his kingdom. And God's moral standards in his kingdom are expressed, his righteousness is expressed through his law. He's simply saying to the Corinthians, because you have been made a citizen of the kingdom of God, act like it. That's what he's teaching. Be who you are. Stop suing one another. Stop being unjust towards one another. Stop living in sexual immorality be who you are. But the reason they were not being who they were is because they failed to know the basic facts of the kingdom of God and how the gospel related to the implications of their daily life. And so Paul is teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so this brings up the fourth question, who are the people excluded from the kingdom of God? Who are they? Paul tells us in verses 9 and 10, look at verses 9 and 10. He gives an illustrative, not an exhaustive list of the unrighteous. That is the unjustified. Those people who are not right with God, therefore, are excluded from the kingdom of God. Now, each vice that we look at is simply an illustration of a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like. They illustrate behaviors of people who are outside of the kingdom of God and who live in open rebellion against the king and his kingdom. What these vices do is that they illustrate the culture of Corinth. They illustrate the culture of America. They illustrate the fallen culture of Corinth in which the Corinthian church and our church is living and from which the Corinthian church and people in our church have been saved from. And this is what Paul's doing. He is issuing a chilling warning that there are certain behaviors that cannot be a part of faithful Christian living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. There are certain behaviors, Paul says, that God's law demarcates that cannot reflect the ethical standards of righteousness in the kingdom of God. So let's look at this list, and we'll just go through it fairly quickly because it's pretty self-explanatory. We'll just talk through it. In, in fact, he's already given the list back in chapter 5, verses 10, 10 and 11. He just adds three more vices to the list in chapter 6 to give further illustrations. But nonetheless, let's go through the list. Here's the list. First, heading the list is sexual immorality. Sexually immoral. It's like an umbrella term. It's the violation of the seventh commandment. And the reason this vice heads Paul's list is because it is the problem he's addressing in this particular context. Not because this sin is worse than any other sin because he lists a lot of different sins. It's just because this happens to be the sin he's addressing.
0: Thanks, John. That's The Kingdom of God and Sexual Purity, Part 1. More from the Do You Not Know series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clearer understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at paramountchurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.